thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock in the... Oh, hang on a minute. No, it isn't. It really isn't. It's just after 11 o'clock in the UK. That means it's just after midday Central European Summertime at the Circuit de la Sarthe. And this is Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2021. Hello. Midday Motorsport kicking things off at Radio Le Mans. Hashtag Haggerty RLM on what will be a packed day of programming all the way through till the second free practice tomorrow tomorrow night tonight um getting in towards tomorrow but not quite uh, on a, a day where we have exclusive live coverage of free practice one uh, we've got qualifying we've got a huge amount of programming all the way through so you've found us now on haggerty radio Le Mans. lock it in don't touch it all the way through we've got uh, the RSL family working very, very hard today to make sure you are absolutely up to date with what's going on. And we kick it off with our midday motorsport show. Uh, up in London is Tim Gregg's executive producer. Good afternoon, as it is here in France. Tim, uh, a welcome along. And on a packed Le Mans previewing show, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Uh, bon, uh, jeu, bon après midi. Uh, yes, Atuvo uh, knows uh, what's listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I've been getting into the French spirits by uh, having Professor Rolls. What, this time of day? Oh no, last oh. night. Oh, uh, okay, fine. It was uh, a rather nice selection of, uh, of all butter patisserie uh, this morning for us here in uh, this part of the Haggerty Global broadcast centre. Um, on the show then, we will be looking ahead to today's broadcasts, uh, bringing you up the date. We'll have Paul Truswell and Johnny Palmer joining us uh, to make sure that we're across all of the uh, developing stories, um, including a very young man who'll be heading to Le Mans. We'll have him actually live in his first live broadcast interview uh, in our Free Practice 1 coverage, which follows uh, this programme. Unfortunately, uh, we, we can't do this as ever since I was a young boy because he still is. Well, indeed, 16 15. years old if you haven't been following. Uh, 15. He'll only be 16 when he comes back. That's right. Uh, so uh, that's a United Autosport story. Thank you, Charlotte, the team, for, for uh, sorting that one out for us. Uh, we'll be talking motorcycles uh, ahead of the British Grand Prix it, next weekend. Remember, no midweek motorsport next week. Traditionally, we take the week off, off to Le Mans unless we're already on another event, as we have been sometimes at the Nürburgring. So no midweek motorsport next week. So 
Uh, we'll be talking British Grand Prix, and if we're talking British Grand Prix, we uh, have to talk Valentino Rossi, his last time at Silverstone uh, on two wheels at least. Matt Oxley from uh, Motorsport Magazine will be joining us. He's got a new book coming out at the end of the year as well on Valentino Rossi. We'll grab him on the phone in our big interview slot in just under an hour's time. Uh, and we'll be talking about all the news that is news and some that probably isn't uh, in the next well, just under two hours because we'll be handing over uh, to Johnny and Bruce uh, for the opening session of free practice, which is live only here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Nobody else has coverage uh, of that. Nobody. No, nada. Nada. More broadcasting, more hours, more insight, more entertainment, more llamas, all here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2021. Shuffle your papers, Tim. Oh, no, 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 sorry. See, I'm, I'm so excited about it being Le Mans week. You've forgotten about Hello the listeners. In, the listener, yes. In Pit Lane says, EFAs, no, wait, it's 7 o'clock in the evening and I'm waiting, listening live, getting ready for the big weekend while in lockdown in Melbourne. Have a good one. Marcel Duke, am I mistaking in saying that the M 340 race pace for the LMP2 failed? We'll talk about that, I'm sure, uh, later on. Dave Monk's tuning in. Uh, midday motorsport on his way to the Circuit de la Sart. Uh Dave, hope your journey goes better. You've obviously replaced your phone, so you tuned in. Excellent. No AFAs for Gregory Higgins. Midday motorsport on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, says Gregory, is the start of Radio Le Mans and the Le Mans week. The first goosebooks, the first piece of unbridled excitement. And then he hears us, so maybe we've disappointed them already. I don't know. Uh, uh, hello to Nikolai B, listening live while at work. Even more excited as this year the race starts on my birthday. First time listening is the midday motorsport uh, uh, on the road to Le Mans. Uh, at, normally on the mid road to Le Mans at this time this week, says A110GE. Listening live on the way back to Essex from a long weekend after Knock Hill, says Lucy, Rest Lucy Restel. Hello, Lucy. Haven't seen your name before. Good that you've uh, tweeted us. At... Uh, Radio Le Mans this week. Hashtag Haggerty RLM, please. Paul Norris, uh, good evening, afternoon, whatever it is. Listening live from one, says Paul Norris, as does Jet. 11am meeting cancelled. Wonder what I can listen to to keep me occupied. Very good. Kevin Payne's in as well. Lots to cover. Uh, so let's go. Oh, Ted the Toyman, no AFAs. Uh, evening here for Midweek Motorsport. He's across in Australia. Dinner with seafood salad with Rockfirst on buns. Still haven't calmed down for MotoGP at the weekend. We'll be talking a little bit about that later on. Uh, and hello to Matthias Groziak uh, as well. Uh, let's crack on. Papers shuffled. Midday Motorsport with the top story. Here's Tim Gray. The Simcast on RS1. <laughs> Latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. See, it wouldn't be midday motorsport uh, if it wasn't a bit of doggy paddling on the, on the hotkeys. No, that's absolutely fine, Tim. I've got a computer which is obsessed with repeating last week's simcast. Well, it was a very good show, and uh, you can find it on radio.com. Uh, but not yes. at its usual time of eight. Oh, uh, when is it tomorrow then? Because obviously, eight o'clock tomorrow, there's, um, there's something else on, isn't there? Uh, yes, that would be uh, Iper. It would be Iperpool. Yeah. So the SIM card is on at ten past eleven. Right. In the evening. In the evening, yes. So after we finished all the track after action, after we from finished the all of tomorrow's track action. Okay. Uh, it's early morning 
uh, Motorsports for Philip, uh, Phil in Miami, uh, Southern Florida. Uh, he says, on my way to take care of ICU patients. Oh, Phil, um, we thank you for your, your service. Uh, starting my day off right. Uh, best 6 a.m. way to call here on the east coast of the U.S. as Preston Buckley. Thank you. Uh, Thomas Smets, first time ever, no AFS listening during work. Perfect time. Enjoying the coverage through the week. I hope Nick to divide my attention between Haggerty Radio Lamont and Zolder. Decisions, decisions. And hello to Sarah Rigby. Guess who has days off today and tomorrow? Perfect timing. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, hello to everybody up there in crew. Where are you taking us for our first story then? Uh, well, we're going to start uh, with something I wasn't expecting to talk about at all this week because right. um, Formula One is in its summer break. Um, yes. And therefore, when they're not supposed to be generating yes. any news. Um, but? But they so have. What does that mean? So that means I need to introduce our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Hooray for Brato! <laughs> I think he's had too much sugar already. That I think, would, that I think the that's like the coffee uh, is probably partly to blame. There is coffee involved in fairness. And it's very early, remember. I'm way fresher at uh, 11 UK than I am at 8 UK. Oh, well, that's true. That's very true. Um, Sacred coffee on the way down to the London portion of the Haggerty Global uh, Broadcast Centre as well. That should arrive either today or tomorrow, Tim, with you. Excellent. Um, excellent. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, so, right. So, hang on. What could possibly uh, be happening in Formula One then, Tim? Uh, well, the Japanese Grand Prix has been cancelled, Nick. It's calendar news. Tim's favourite. Okay, he does like second favourite. Obviously, you know, very uh, very poorly attended, uh, low level single seaters taking place in Estonia being the favourite thing. Poorly attended is not uh, part of the criteria, Nick. (laughs) No, any any level of attendance. (laughs) Yes, they they have um, they have announced today that um, the Japanese Grand Prix has been cancelled, not postponed, cancelled, which is um, I suppose. Not unexpected to... Uh, it's, it's not an international surprise face situation because they were hoping to be able to bubble it um, as they had done, for example, in... Um, bubble it just a little bit. It wasn't the, wiggle it. In the UAE in, in uh, Abu Dhabi last year. But the government, after the Olympics, which were a success as far as disease control were concerned, regardless of how many medals you won, um, then they've seen a spike generally in the country and decided they just don't want... Any more big international events? They kind of they, they, the government said no, not the, not Honda and not the circuit. Uh, if we equate with where we are uh, this week and talking about Le Mans and the FIAWEC, their plans to go to Japan for the next round uh, were scotched some time ago, yes. and it's double at Bahrain uh, uh, at the circuit there. Uh, WEC. I was talking with Ben Constantius about Rally Ypres uh, on last night's. Uh, last night, last week's show, WRC Japan is supposed to still be on as well. So, were they just effectively F1 just giving themselves as much time as they possibly could? I I think F1 um, think of themselves as having more chance of getting it. So, like, there were three events, say, a WEC, a rally, and F1, all supposed to happen in the same difficult country in the same in the same weekend. Mm-hmm. F1 would think they are far more likely to get the events on than the other two for a combination of global profile and the fact they can throw cash at it. Yeah. Um, but it gets to the point where even though Honda were happy, who owns Suzuka, the, um, the Japanese governing body were happy, the government said no. 
And right. that's it, really. The government says, no, it's not happening. So we now have holes all over the uh, calendar. And the, and the back end of the calendar, where we... But basically, the calendar, just those of you who, who are missing Grand Prix racing, you have to wait until the 29th of August for the next Grand Prix, which is Belgium. The following week, it's the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort. Then the following week, it's Italy. So that's the end of the traditional it's European... It's holiday arm. weekend in the UK, 29th of August, isn't it? I know, it? it's a Sunday. It's also... Is that the same as Mortal GP at Silverstone? It is, yeah. 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 Okay. Which means which means one or two other will, will, will move its time. They never start both at the same time. Um, and then you got the uh, then you, then you have the Russian Grand Prix, and then you go to Turkey, which has obviously been off on and on on off and back on again. Um, and then we go into and I think all those will happen. I'm pretty sure all those will happen for various reasons. And then we go into the the area of uncertainty around the tap, which is effectively from the beginning of October to the beginning to the beginning of December, because there are three races slated at the moment in that gap. There should be five. Yeah. Look, it's United States at the Circuit of America on 24th October, the following week in Mexico, and the following week in Brazil. Before we go to Saudi Arabia, which will definitely happen, and Abu Dhabi, which will definitely happen. If, if, it's, if it's a problem, they'll just bubble it, because they did it last year. Um, so did, the, so did, I hear, did I hear them, uh, that, that, that was a suggestion of possibly uh, Travis County, um, an extraterrestrial um, <laughs> district keep going, keep going. of... Um, <laughs> Of Austin <laughs> might have two. I it's a suggestion that I made. Um, right, the problem is uh, in the world at the moment in, is that F1 is predominantly based in the UK um, as far as teams and everything else are concerned, and the UK has a traffic light system about where you're allowed to go to and what happens more importantly when you come back from those countries. If it's a red light country, if you come back, you have to go into mandatory 10 days hotel quarantine. You, can't, you have to go into a, a state-sponsored hotel, much like you know Australia's been doing. At the moment, both Mexico and Brazil are red. Yeah. Brazil is, I'm sure it's red to the entire world. Um, and the United States, United States, which is fine, Not Portugal. is currently... Oh, yes. Cool. Ah, the United really? States, which is fine, is currently, um, unfortunately, going, going through a surge... Uh, of Delta variant, particularly in Texas. Ah. So there is a huge problem about what to do about this two-month period when you need to get five races in. We've lost Australia, we've lost um, Japan, and, and it's very likely... It's of us, isn't it? It's very likely that Mexico and Brazil won't happen. Uh, now, listen, take the politics out of this, take everything else well, out, out, out of health, this. Isn't it, what, what you can say about Formula One uh, a MotoGP, the same. They have been pretty assiduous mm -hmm. in keeping the bubbles bubbled. Yeah, yeah. And the incidents within that, either we're not hearing about them or they're not happening, and depending on which well, side think, of the no, argument you've heard. I think we've heard. They, I think they, we've heard about the ones that have happened. And they've, also, they've, they've issued, not only do we know the, 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 the names we've got, it, don't forget four of the drivers have had, four, three of them in competition and two out of have, have been confirmed positive. But they also published a, a total number of tests and a total number of positives They've received F Formula One. This Formula is, one, yeah. yeah. Um, they've just started relaxing the regulations in MotoGP. It's, it happened a little bit earlier in terms of press getting into the paddocks and and other team members beginning t to come back. Th clearly, what they don't want to do now, with the whole world watching, is to nurse it up right at this point and and go to places where they could be seen to be a quote-unquote super spreader of it. Yeah, they, but basically the problem they've got really is I'm pretty certain that F1 is pretty confident it can do a bubble event anywhere. 
Right. You know, whether they want to or not is financial, of course. Uh, but if you've got a situation with a country where the people who are working in F1 aren't allowed back in their own country without going to 10 days mandatory hotel quarantine, um, you can't really have it there, you see. That was why Turkey got called off the first time. When Turkey was supposed to be on back in May, was it? He got called off because it went into the red list and you couldn't, and you can't then back to back to back to back things because people are sitting in the hotels or, or having to not be in the country being somewhere else for two weeks. Uh, so I think they got a real, I think there's a real issue and my feeling is they will find a workaround for Texas and we'll get two races in Texas and then they were, they're going to need to make a decision about what they do regarding Mexico and Brazil quite soon and then work out whether they want to stick to 23, go to 22, go to 21 and how they're going to fill those gaps and there is obviously the possibility that Turkey's on the 3rd of October, US on the 24th of October, you could shuffle things around quite a bit and fit another European race in before they go off to the States. There's a number of options they've got. And of course the other option they currently have is they're doing Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi at the back end of the season with a gap. You could put another Bahrain in there, you could put a Qatar in there, because don't forget Qatar's back in the fold, well back more in the fold with the rest of the, the Arab world and the Bahrain veto's gone. So there are options to do more in the Middle East as well. Who has okay. been requesting some shuffling, Nick? Uh, I think didn't Brazil asked to go back a week or something. Yes, uh, if you remember, Brazil was originally on the 14th of November, uh, but then when they moved Australia to the end of the season, uh, it was put back a week. Uh, so now that Australia was cancelled, they've uh, asked to go back to their I, original I date. Why they, I don't know why they think they're going to get a race, because they also want to do the race with a full crowd, don't they? Yes. Oh, really? Mm. The the uh, promoter of the Sao Paulo Grand Prix has confirmed that the event will go ahead. Yes, but that's not necessarily what actually decides it. <laughs> no. yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have the ultimate sanction, does he? Yeah, of they, of they, yes or no? They tried to get litigious last year when it was called off. Oh uh, yes, that's right. Well which, remembered. Which made no sense at all because you know they were in the height of the you know the initial um, peak, and it's a uh, uh, don't forget Brazil is also slated for the sprint race as well. Yes, if it happens, so. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, the point about it is that we've had enough races for a championship already. We'll get to at least 19 or 20. They, the, the, the 23 is because uh, F1 loves earning money. You're listening to Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2021. This is Midday Motorsport just after, or just coming on to 20 past midday in uh, the Central European summertime on which Le Mans is uh, at at the moment. Uh, it's John Heinoff, Nick Damon and Tim Gray up in London, where would you like to go next on this packed midweek motorsport ahead of a packed day of broadcasting? Le Mans, but okay. it's a ah. Formula One at Le Mans story, because as oh, we yes. mentioned yes. on test day, there will be yep. a demo lap or several demo laps well, by an Alpine F1 car. Two uh, Alpines, apparently. Well, they're both going, are they? Uh, on, only one driver, though, and it's not the driver we thought it was going to be. We thought it would be Ocon, didn't we? From yes, because obviously he's French and a race winner this season already. Surely what the man has won the 24 hours to do it. And that's what they've chosen. Fernando Alonso. Also, of course, it won't actually be an Alpine because the car has to be two years old, so it'll actually be a Renault. With different, <laughs> different bodywork. Yeah. Um, and that leads nicely into a bit of intel that I'm obliged to John De Geese of Sportscar 365 for passing on. There was a press conference scheduled for I think Friday of this week for I think it's Thursday tomorrow isn't oh, it? Oh was it Thursday sorry that has now been cancelled um, we were expecting Alpine to announce their um, 
global sports car prototype program, uh, widely trained, trailed as being uh, LMDH, and therefore we were expecting a chassis manufacturer to be announced on Thursday, along with you know where they're going to start racing first. Will it be in IMSA? Will it be straight into the WEC in 2023? Um, the strong money is that that is not now happening. Uh, for what reason, we know not. Uh, but interesting that, because quite clearly, Nick, you know, Alpine this year with the recycled Rebellion, the R13, um, as we've heard from Johnny and Bruce just before we came on the air, uh, you know, that, that car outwardly doesn't look competitive because of the fuel um, deficit that it has because it's got the older... Uh, regs and therefore only 75 litre fuel tank but um, if it has a clean race it's 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 there or thereabouts and and that was widely thought to be a, a prelude to something else for Alpine. Yeah but if you look at I'm, I'm not surprised by this and for a couple of reasons um, Alpine um, would have no reason to race in IMSA because they don't sell Alpines in or even Renault's in in the US, and one of the stipulations, of course, IMSA makes is your manufacturer sponsor must manufacturer must actually sell cars in America. It's one of the problems Peugeot have got, which is why they talk about turning it into a Dodge, weren't they? At one point, um, I think a Dodge. I remember the wrong one. Maybe a Chrysler. No, no, it was Dodge. Dodge. Yeah, you're right. Um, so also there is a trend. I don't know if you've noticed this. It's been announced. There's been a, that I think that that major manufacturers are realising you don't want to spread yourself so too thinly. Let's look at the people, you know, let's be, you know, Audi have pulled out of Formula E to do LMDH. BMW have pulled out of Formula E to do LMDH. Mercedes have pulled out of Formula E to do F1. You know, the only people who are expanding are Porsche, but Porsche's entire background forever has been about motorsports. It's a different, it's a completely different thing. But you look at the, your general manufacturers, they're beginning to think, let's not spread ourselves too thinly. Let's love all the customer stuff we can do, but the stuff we're paying for ourselves... Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do one thing well. However, Alpine, if we go back to the original point of the story with Fernando Orlando Alonso, yeah. um, uh, in the car on, I think it's Saturday morning, isn't it? That the it is. It's while we're doing Countdown to Green. Oh, is it? Excellent. Because in fairness, I mean, F1 cars aren't particularly well suited. Yeah, you write Monza spec, I suppose. Gets us 200 mile an hour. Yeah, do about two sixteen if they really want to. Well, that's as quick as, you know. Well, it's not two fifty. Not two fifty down the tubes like the old ones did, is it? No, but mm. but then again, then the sports cars to. don't do that yeah, nowadays either. The, the fastest car in a straight line will either be the Alpine I- itself, funny enough, um, or one of the LMP two cars um, in a straight line. I would say through the traps. Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I, actually, that's not true. The Klingenhaus was quickest I'd, at the weekend. I'd, I'd really like it if they went for it, uh, even the two-year-old car and even the Renault engine. Um, because we just get an idea of how fast he could actually go. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think he's going to run anywhere near full I, speed. I think it'd be a wave to the crowd job. Um, because okay. he's part of a parade involving a lot of other cars. Ah, yes, that is the point. But I thought um, they were going to let, let the car go around and let the car off on its own. I think they will. Uh, one of them, anyway. and the reason why Esteban Ocon isn't driving the Formula 1 car is that he's in the A110 GT4 car. Oh, Fantastic. They've been doing rather well in um, in RGT as well, Rally GT yes. with their and Alpines. the RGT uh, A110 Rally uh, will be driven around Le Mans by Manu Guigou, who's been uh, um, competing in he it. He won the Monte Carlo uh, yes, in it. 
Um, and they also have uh, the A470 LMP2 car, which will be driven by Pierre Thirier. Right. Uh, okay. Thirier by TDS originally. Mm. All right. Okay. That Either that is America. J- just, j- well, yes, but, you know, badge engineering. Absolutely. Um, so, so just I, quickly, I, I are you are saying, sorry. John, that the the press conference which we're expecting on Thursday isn't happening? Are you saying that the programme isn't happening or that the press conference is No, I'm not. Delayed? I'm saying the announcement isn't going to be made on Thursday. At no. least that's what... That's I think what, the announcement um, might be made on Saturday now to coincide with this parade. Oh, really? Well, mm. that, that it hasn't been rescheduled in the grand scheme of ACO things. There no. is a, there is a list of press conferences that's disappeared from the list of press conferences. Um, I I think I take what Nick was saying about manufacturers spreading themselves too thin. But Alpine has just been relaunched as a performance brand. There's going to be an Alpine Renault Five. Um, you know, Al- Alpine and Gordini were the two performance brands, weren't they? Of 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 Renault back down through the years. I'm led to believe by our friends in the automotive industry, um, and also by reading Auto Express, actually, um, which is is you know is actually the only weekly magazine that I get now, and it's automotive. But so much you glean from there what, uh, of what is going to trickle down into motorsport. But there are going to be Alpine versions of other brands. So Alpine are going to become to Renault in their streetcar range, road car range, as AMG or the M badge or Sportline and Quattro are, or, or indeed Cupra, mm. you know, and, and Cupra for, for Seat, originally just a, a trim level, now have some of their own models, including the rather excellent looking Formentor, <laughs> which surely turns into something else. Well, for Benz. Yes, well, <laughs> Formentor. Um, so I, I, I think there's a reason for them to still do something in sports car racing. Um, and whether that, you know, as Tim suggests, is just being put back a wee bit um, till Saturday. We'll find out, I suppose. Hello to Porsche Sport, listening, but a little bit late. Um, and Dave Alcock as well. Uh, a couple of people forgetting that we were on the um, the uh, French time zone for midday motorsport, including Nick Wade uh, and one or two others at uh, at Radio Le Mans this week, it's probably the easiest place to go for everything. Use the hashtag HaggertyRLM this week. We're in midday motorsport, coming on to uh, half past 12 uh, at the Circuit de la Sarthe. Tim, where would you like to go next? Uh, let me do... No, we'll come back to that. The uh, car's uh, jingle? Let's do some, <laughs> let's do some uh, Formula E news. because uh, E-bye, that, that has happened this morning. Uh, with yes. the widely expected uh, uh, announcement that Mercedes are withdrawing from that championship. We trailed this on Sunday in our test day coverage mm. um, that, that we were expecting it to happen. Now, th- there was, Nick, a little bit of confusion between various media outlets as to whether it was effective immediately no, or effective at the end, end of, of 2020. Which is the end of this generation of cars. So they're not having to build a new generation of cars. So they'll, they'll, get, they'll get there. They'll sweat the asset. Um, they have said today that, they, that the team can carry on. Don't forget, that, like, uh, the name's escaping, but the team that actually runs the Mercedes effort ran as, as themselves for a year, didn't they, before being Mercedes' own brand. So they can carry on going. Um, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, They've decided it's it, it's not for them. They've virtue signaled for long enough. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Um, you know, it's... Uh, and you're, you're, after that massive influx of, of manufacturers, you know, they're, they're slowly 
you know, drifting away again. I thought it was what was very interesting was what they said in their release in that um, they want to A, concentrate on its quote-unquote works motorsport activities um, on Formula One, which they describe as the fastest laboratory for developing technology. But they, they also basically said... Um, that they didn't feel they were getting enough out of it for the money that they were well, putting that's really in. Interesting, they just won, haven't they? They just won hmm. the drivers. I think the problem is, is that when you look at what Formula E can do or doesn't do, and, and, and I think what has happened, they're seven seasons in. Um, the racing is entertaining, if um, artificial. I mean, I think Alan Gow would love to have uh, have hold of uh, Formula E, but but it's it's, it's made no crossover. It's not broken out of the, you know, the people they didn't want to talk to originally, the Formula, the, the motorsport fans. It's not, it's not the conversation, that, you know, in the clubs and the pubs and on Instagram. It's, it's just not, not made any real push. And I think, you know, it, there are the reasons why that might be, but, but I think that there's been growing dissatisfaction with the format of the racing. Um, the qualifying particularly is ridiculous, um, which effectively why you had 16 drivers in with a chance of winning the championship on the last race, which sounds great in theory, but actually what it just means you've got no idea who's good or who's bad because you win one race and start in the back six in the next race because you're in the first group qualifying where there's no grip. Mm. Also, what was, what was very interesting when you actually watched that final finale race is they set it all up to be amazing, <laughs> and then within two laps it wasn't. It was the most, it was the biggest anticlimax ever. When the two, the two of the, there were four guys really in with a chance. Two of them took themselves out in the first lap due to a mechanical failure of the Formula E product. And then there was another mechanical glitch to a third one out. And then we just had to watch Nick DeVries drive for 40 minutes and not, and not, and not throw it in the wall. Um, and it ended up being, the oddly, you start with 16 people going to win a championship and it was the biggest anticlimax ever. But more importantly, because, and this is the thing, you, you can't, why, why is F1 so much in the news this year? What, what's different this year? There's a battle. Between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Yep. It always gets a lift from its already high level. When if it's Nico, it was Nico and Lewis. But obviously, when it was you know, it was a proper battle in Hackney, it gets a massive lift here. You can't have that in Formula E because every week there's a different winner, and the guy you were rooting for last week is now at the back of the grid. And if he's and, and it's him comes a total lottery. If you if you win a race, end at the back of the grid, and it's a boring race, you end up in seventeenth with no points. If you're lucky and it's a chaotic race, you might get you know a third or a fifth. But that, I think the racing is, is, you know, the actual races are okay. The racing is pointless. Uh, and it's not proving anything anymore, is it? Well, Gen 3 will be a bit different. It's still not proving anything. Well, I know, but it's... it's I kind of understand... It, it is to some people, and clearly the manufacturers think it is. Um, it's like you could... But no, no, no. Clearly the manufacturers don't, John. Well... They've mm. lost three... Well, in a year. Let's go back to Alpine. Alpine have, have piled up with Geely, who are the Chinese company that own Lotus and Volvo and Polestar and Probably, yeah. all of that. Um, they're taking some EV technology from those guys um, for the next version of the A110. Alpine. I'm not saying, I'm not saying so, this is not you know, Al Alpine could jump in. I mean, Renault, Renault have been there. But if, if Mercedes, who won both championships, think it's not, worth, it's not financially worth the effort, that's because they've worked out. They've won it once. You don't create a dynasty in any form of the sport by winning something once. But there's no dynasty to be created in Formula Well, really. there, there's, the, there's the argument. And, and the basic point is, though, that it's they say it's not good value for money. It's basically just too expensive. 
Well, didn't didn't Sam Smith at the start of this season or was it the back end of last season when we were talking about it with him? I think it was when we did our preview for this year, wasn't it? Yes. Um, was saying, you know, good news. The manufacturers have really got involved and got behind it and are paying the drivers and are developing the cars. Bad news, the manufacturers have really got behind it. They're paying the drivers and they're putting the money in to develop the cars and are pushing up the investment value. So from being something that it was very easy to justify wherever you were on the grid because potentially of what you were seeing um, about virtue signalling for manufacturer, it's now become a line item that can't be ignored because they're spending larger sums of money and board members are saying why are we spending that if we're not winning it's the age it's old not, it's not even that john it's, it's but it's, that but, is the age old argument we, but when we sit there and you say why do manufacturers invest in motorsport it's a marketing exercise if formula e, for most yes. if formula e had 10 times the viewers this wouldn't be an issue. No, no I, I absolutely agree with it's, that. The point about it is the cost is against what you're getting back from it. If you're getting all us motorsport fans who also watch F1 or who also follow IMSA, you're getting no additional value. Dave Alcock, uh, agreeing. The issue for Mercedes other Formula E manufacturers, the series is now so expensive there simply aren't enough eyeballs on from the right marketing demographic to give a return on investment from the teams and sponsors. Don't know how they can fix that. Um, Rotation says, I remember when these manufacturers came in because it was seen then as a relatively cheap option. Funny that, isn't it? Um, Adam's saying, absolute roast of Formula E. It's not a, a roast of, of Formula E, really. No. It, it, I, 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 and I, I know what you're saying there, Adam, but you know, we're racing fans. I, I don't care what powers the cars. could be a big elastic band as far as I, I'm concerned. I think I've watched more Formula you know, I, I can say this with, with pretty much, I think I've watched every Formula E race for the past four years, not yeah, necessarily yeah. live, but no, I've watched no, no, them all no. on tape. Because I actually enjoy Because basically, often most of the races are people we know, because they're all people who've been in and out of sports cars. But, so but we kind of know the entire field. So before we leave this and, and move on, so I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but you can say pretty much what you've said there um, about lots of other forms of motorsport. But I presume the answer to that would be, but they don't have manufacturer interest. So if you're talking about some of the formula... Um, uh, every other feeder formulas yeah, to Formula One. But the point about the feeder form of Formula One is, and every in fact, every other motorsport, it is a meritocracy. Eventually, I know money comes into it, but the fact about it is, Formula E, you do well, you're handicapped by qualifying at the back. Yeah. Effectively, it's a world championship with success ballast, which should never happen. Even though I don't know the WC has it, but it should never happen, and also fan boost, which never happens. Well, so it, what it is on a race by race basis is what um, American franchise sport because it is a franchise sport yeah, let's remember yeah, that yeah, formula yeah. e is a franchise yep. sport um as is extreme e um what happens at the end of each race before the next race is exactly what happens in american franchise stick and ball sports when you get to the draft and it's meant to yes. stop the dynasty the dynastic running away with five six seven years because the more successful you are the further down the list you are for picking Absolutely, the yeah. best players yeah. well in this case the more successful you are in the championship standings the further That's back very good analogy you qualify yeah. effectively you qualify first and being the nature of street circuits are such that you are out there on the road at when the track is at its worst exactly the same in wrc though Nick, and, and people have got around that. And, and part of the reason that Sebastian Ogier is doing so well this year is how he's still at the top of the championship and he's been driving first on the road every Friday 
and he's not necessarily but ended every I've Friday in the lead of the rally, but he's kept himself in touch. But the problem is, is that within rallying, there are either far fewer people in the top level, so there's six who might win the rally at any one True. time, and there's, and there's actually an ability to make your talent show on every single corner. Mm -hmm. Formula E, you have, if you, took, if you look at Formula E, and this is an incredible plus point of Formula E, there are 24 bloody good drivers there. Yeah, yeah. And outside our own personal favourites or how they're feeling on the day, and we all know people have good days and bad days, I think you can put pretty much all of them in, a, in a, interchange with the cars and you get very similar results. Yeah. yeah, Nick De Vries is a little bit better perhaps than, than, than I don't know, Tom Bom Blomquist, but it's not like night and day. It's like no. tiny differences. And then you're stuck behind a person on a street circuit. I what are you going to do? I'm, I'm still quite excited about the new car coming in two years' time. Well, it's got 100 horsepower, which helps. Yeah, and I, and I think what we might see then as well is finally them... The biggest thing for me that's holding Formula E back now was one of its USPs, and it's the expense and the layout of the tracks in city centre or um, temporary yes, situations. And we've proved with Monaco, which obviously is a city centre track, and it looks like a temporary track because it is, but I think there are other circuits that you could go to that would be possible to see some really good racing at so uh, we'll, we'll wait. It's not about we'll racing at a circuit, though. They want to bring racing to people rather than bring people to the racing. But that hasn't worked. Because people go to racing in cars, which generate fumes. Well, people go to all sport in cars. Uh, it, it, outside of motorsport, football, uh, horse racing, anything, the biggest part of the carbon footprint is how the spectators get there. It's not to do with how many laps the cars do. Um, it's, it's always going to be how the spectators get there. But, but they've which, tried which is why in Formula E they, they've taken them to places where they can't yes, yes. take a car. But unfortunately, it hasn't worked for them. It's not attracting spectators. Um, you know, you look at the, some of the events, there's hardly anybody trackside. And they, they, they're still trying to give away a lot of tickets from sponsors, and even that's not working. And it's not getting a TV audience in many of its major marketplaces. So I think, you know, eight seven series now going into the eighth series i think they have to take a long look at it i think the concept's proven but you've got to adapt to survive so I mean, anyway yeah, the, my question is do you want going into the last weekend 16 people with a random chance of winning the championship or two or three actually going for it um and who can qualify at the front and yeah, I mean, it, out? it was down to ninth or tenth position i think at the weekend at the double header at um just, temple Hall. i just just i yeah uh, you're listening to Haggerty Radio Le Mans. This is Midday Motorsport. Uh, before we move on, let me give you a rapid run-through of what you can expect today. Uh, coming up in just over an hour's time, uh, we'll have exclusive live coverage of the first practice session for Le Mans 24 hours of 2021. Uh, Johnny Palmer will be uh, joining us to have a chat about that before he goes live and we'll speak, be speaking in his programme as well to Paul Truswell, who's back with us on Haggerty Radio Le Mans for 2021. Uh, after that, don't tune away just because there's no track action. Uh, we have got, we've, we've said we were going to bring all of the Radio Show Limited family in. Well, one of the support races this year is Endurance Masters. Fabulous set of cars, including Dario Franchitti driving an Aston Martin GT1 car. Uh, those races are across the weekend. We'll have live coverage of of that with Bruce Jones and Joe Bradley making uh, making that come alive for you. And it's at uh, ten past four European time. 
no, sorry, 10 past four uh, UK time. Uh, we'll have Paul Tarsi and the rest of the Historic Racing News radio show team previewing what is a mouth-watering paddock full of Enduro's Masters racing car. Uh, after that, at 5 UK, 6 in Europe, uh, Johnny Palmer will be here to bring us up to date with the Le Mans, the Michelin Le Mans Cup and, and what's happened there. Now, that normally, of course, supports the European Le Mans series. That's not here this weekend, but there are two what are called Road to Le Mans races. JP will go through the runners and riders and tell us who to look out for. That comes directly before we go back live trackside with Le Mans 24 qualifying. That's a 10 to 7 French time, 10 to 6 in the UK, and we'll go all the way through that session for that qualifying that qualifying run there for the whole 62 car field at 10 past eight french time that's 10 past seven the first of a series of programs this year that looks back onto history being made in 1991 the first japanese manufacturer mazda and still the first uh, rotary engine indeed the first non-reciprocating piston engine that has won Le Mans. We've got a number of our Radio Le Mans staffers who were there that weekend to talk about it, uh, including Paul Truswell. We're going to get Martin Haven to talk about it as well. But we'll start with somebody that wasn't just there but was in the race and was in one of the sister cars to the winners. Pierre de Donnet, now technical director of Belgian race outfit uh, WRT, will join us from Le Mans at 10 past 8 uh, European time, 10 past 7. Uh, then, for those of you that missed it, or for those of you that want to hear it again, what is a hypercar? That's the question that we'll answer at 20 minutes to 9 European time. That's 20 minutes to 8, 7.40 in the UK. Uh, and that will be editor of dailysportscar.com, Andrew Cotton, and deputy editor Stuart Mitchell, uh, unravelling the different ways that you could go global prototype racing. And before we go up to what is effectively night practice, free practice two, at just before 10 o'clock French time, that's just before 9 o'clock, um, we will have uh, at 9.30, Andrew Marriott is back with us for an episode of Marriott's Memories as he delves back into the lexicon of motorsport stories that he has over his extensive career. So that's how the evening and the rest of the afternoon looks. If you want to see the schedule, go to radiolamonts.com, scroll down to the bottom, RS1 schedule on the left-hand side, and it will auto-correct to, or auto-convert to whatever time your browser uh, has your time set. Uh, let's take a couple of tweets before we move on. Apologies for lateness, says Ian McCarthy. Peter have stocked up on one nap too many um, early on, but it's such a fine balance. David Rally is with us. Um, might not be in France, but listening live. Okay, very good. Um, don't tell my, don't tell my boss. He says. Talk about carbon footprints of spectators. Have you seen the SUVs queuing to enter race courses for horse racing? Racing's 100% correct. The city centre racing's not working. Let's be pragmatic. Go back to real circuits, permanent circuits for Formula E. Um, and uh, totally agree. I would like to see some as, uh, as, uh, uh, additional strategic elements to racing, vary tracks and formats, time certain clock and Dave Olcock making that point on at uh, Radio Le Mans, hashtag Haggerty, RLM. Tim Gray, Midday Motorsport, uh, coming up to quarter to one here in central France. Where would you like to go next? 
Uh, we're going to stay with Formula E because Nick mentioned how he did it. Uh, but let's talk about Nick de Vries becoming uh, the Netherlands' first ever FIA World Champion. Really? Yes. I thought Jan Lammers. I thought Jan Lammers might have won the World Sports Car Championship. The best he did was second. Yeah, that was when he was with um, Jaguar, wasn't it? Um, I think that was when Um, he was with Jaguar. Yeah, nineteen eighty-seven. Yeah, went in in the previous iteration of World Sports Car. Was that an FIA Championship? I think it probably was. Yes. Nobody's done the the off-road World Championship, not the Deroy brothers uh, or anything like that. Not that I'm aware of, no. Wow. Okay. Uh, definitely the first single-seater world champion. Well, yes. Okay, fine. Uh, uh, much to the uh, annoyance, I'm sure, of Max Verstappen. Well, he's been missing out all the first. He wasn't. He didn't make any of the youngest because um, they kept getting that wrong or someone got in, got in his way. So he wasn't the youngest to do anything, I don't think, apart from the star race. Uh, actually, he might be the youngest winner, thinking about it, but he wasn't the youngest pole position holder and he wasn't the uh, the youngest world champion. But he still isn't a world champion. Um, yeah, it's well, well done, Nick. You know, uh, he's now, people are now saying, oh, he's got a chance to be, be in F1. Um, he's got a choice, isn't he, really? He's got another year in his Mercedes deal. Um, does he want to do that or does he want to try and pitch himself into a, a lower grid uh, F1 job? Indeed. Uh, and of course, the fact that he did it with Mercedes will have annoyed uh, Verstappen even more. I think, uh, I th- I, I, do you know what? I genuinely don't think it would have affected Verstappen the slightest. I don't think he cared. No. Um, he, 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 well, I don't know. It's uh, not going to affect. No, it's not gonna, yeah, he, I, I think if, yeah, when Verstappen uh, drives in an F1 race, you get uh, 65% of the, the uh, Dutch population tune in. I, I doubt it was 6.5% tuned in for. Uh, uh, Formula E. In fact, I now think it's down. It was point six five percent. Okay, moving on. Uh, IndyCar next. It was the um, road course at Indy again at the weekend in the Big Machine Spike Coolers Grand Prix, and Will Power gets his first win of the season. Yes, he was unlucky earlier, wasn't he? He overheated his computer in Detroit. He should have had. Should have well, he, Honda have had a funny year <laughs> um, with issues. Uh, with electronics issues, haven't they? He couldn't restart his car in Detroit. He should have won that one. There was another race as well where they, they had problems. Yeah. Uh, Indianapolis, they had some problems as well. Yeah, they, they denied it was heat soak in the end, but it certainly seemed like to me. Uh, I thought he drove a great race. Uh, you've got to say, though, that, that one of the stories, if not the... OK, that's the big story because Will gets back to the front. But young Formula 2 driver... Comes yeah. in out of nowhere. Christian Lungard. Christian Lungard and, and does a cracking job. Well, I think it's, it's interesting. Christian, Christian qualified really, really well um, and uh, showed his basic pace, which is excellent. He then faded during the race because then you start getting all the intricacies of tyres and pit stops and the tactics. And, it's, and, he, ha- and he has to learn that. But yeah, you, you turn around and you go, hang on a second. Christian is a you know, is one of the frontline F2 racers. There's probably half a dozen in a very, very similar mould. Um if they can go there and show that sort of speed and they'd be cheap, you kind of begin to think, is, there a, is this now a new <laughs> a new sort of out, outcrop for IndyCar um, owners and drivers to, to managers to go, let's pick up some of the guys who just can't make that final hop because they've obviously got the basic raw talent and, and in, all right, we've got, to, we've got to live with the six races or a year's worth of learning the rules and learning the tyre management, but you know, don't forget, if you run F2, you, 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 know, you know about tyre management, just, you know, Pirelli tyre management, not Firestone. So it's... Um, 
No, I, I, I think it was a, it was a great performance. I think it was it was again it was Roman Grosjean still, of course, in his first year, who qualified just behind Lungard but took it home in second. So he's you know, constantly on the on the on the way up. Um, yeah, I think it's it's indicative that they are a single seater, which appears to be um, reasonably. And it's interesting actually because that was quite similar, I think, in the past when we had the previous iterations of Indy cars and the previous iterations of GP2 cars. It's there seemed to be quite a crossover. I'm not sure because they're you know, I know there was a Delara's and there's a kind of a, uh, yeah they're European design and they they're more simplistic than F1 car, but there always seemed to be yeah. a, a a a way that these the Division Two the one level below F1 guys could hop over there and be reasonably quick Indy car. Far less downforce than they used to have, interestingly. Move around a bit more, but I think you're right about Lungards and the vagaries of of racing in the states and going through the two tyre compounds. Yeah, but I, I I think it was good. Uh, there's another Alpine connection there. We seem to have been talking about Very Alpine. Good point, yes. Um, he's part of the Alpine Academy. He's top dog there, really. Um, does that mean that they're looking at that as an alternative outlet for some of their? Well, I suppose. And what brands do they have that group in the states? Renault. So it's Renault, Nissan. Mitsubishi. We've got Nissan, obviously. So yeah. Huge. Mm. Um, and they still have Infinity over there. Uh, no, I think it's important you make that jump because you know, Alpine don't have a slot at the moment in F1. They are they've signed Esteban up for a long time and they're not about to fire Fernando at the moment. Um, they're still trying to get. I I think that at some point in the next few years Williams will become their junior team. Um, really? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they've got a long term. They've got a reasonable engine contract at the moment with with Mercedes, but I think that they. Could do with you know having a tie-up, um, uh, and so because there was no place for these junior Alpine drivers to go at the moment. So, well, there is now, which is called IndyCar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything more on IndyCar, Tim? Uh, yes, because uh, it's not the first time Will Powers won at Indy, is it? He's won a lot, isn't he? The road course. Uh, it's his sixth he's led win. A lot. At Indianapolis, uh, his fifth on the road course, and he's got an oval yeah. win as well. He's won the Indy 500. Uh, who's the only other driver to have won six times at Indianapolis? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, Dario? Nope. Dixon? Nope. Is it like a? I might, be somebody be a no, one, no one's won the uh, no one's won the 500 six times. No. Nope. Yeah. The most is four. Yep. Elio? So, no. Nope. That's a good, good call. Oh, okay, I thought it was a good call. Are they still active? Very much so, yes. Oh, blimey. Sato? Not in no, IndyCar. He's done two 500s, of course. So who's won six times in Indianapolis, but not in IndyCar? So we're looking at people who are in NASCAR for the Brickyard 400? Mm. Yes. Uh, Jimmy Johnson? No. Carl Busch? Kyle Busch is correct. Oh, well done. <laughs> well done. Because it was a big combined weekend, of sorry, course, wasn't sorry, it? Sorry, has he won six times in the main show or, or in Xfinity no. as well? Uh, it's four and two. Yeah. Because okay. they had the big show there on the road course for the first time, didn't they? They've the gone road, so crazy this, road course crazy They this have year. gone road course crazy. Sorry, we're probably bleeding into Tim's sorry, next story, yes. are we, Tim? No, you can talk about that if you want. Well, no, that was about all I wanted to say. Really I, I, I don't get to see it anymore. Me neither, there's, yeah. There's, there's, there's no channel that I subscribe to in the UK that has it or even has um, highlights um, Highlights of it. No. So unless I'm, I'm doing the highlights for Mobile One The Grid, I don't get to see it, I'm afraid, which is a bit of annoying, but never mind. Uh, at Radio Le Mans, hashtag Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Thanks to Haggerty for being back on board in 2021 uh, along with uh, VP Racing Fuels. Visit Cayman Islands 
and uh, we'll welcome back Mobile One as Hooray. well uh, at the weekend uh, for uh, as our sponsors uh, and the responsible adult working very hard to sign up some more partners, which is all great news. Uh, getting themselves uh, in front of or list in front of our listeners, which uh, totaled over 10 million last year and over 100 million social uh, uh, social activity last year. So pretty big audience last year and we're all ready be careful what I say then no, you have to be very careful what you say uh, um, particularly remember how many countries we're going to as well and territories which is all of them apart from about seven well bang out my accents yeah yeah accents are gone now mate no accents no accent zone what um, did I mention Flavia I, I said <laughs> no, I didn't. enough we talked about I was talking about Luca de Montezemolo to somebody earlier this morning I was really pleased you went on on that call um, the the um, <laughs> put me off off track there completely <laughs> I haven't said a thing I've said <laughs> nothing nothing controversial whatsoever <laughs> completely uh, and of course we'll be on Sirius XM <laughs> XM Sirius uh, this weekend as well uh, with uh, the all of Saturday and Sunday's uh, events coming up uh, on that platform as we have done for I think since we started in 2006 certainly straight after uh, that it seems to be a very long time that they have loaned us uh, our, their airwaves. Um, uh, so thanks to all of our partners, as ever, for, for jumping in and making sure that the most comprehensive coverage uh, that anyone can give you this year is still free at the point of use. We like to think of ourselves as the the Endurance National Health Service. You know, you just it just happens. Uh, it's there. Any problem is, though, the four-year waiting list. Yeah, no, no, but there isn't here. <laughs> so that's the good. Uh, Wicked Bill says, spot on about the Alpine tie-up for Williams. Mercedes have too many junior teams with McLaren Racing Point at the moment. Renault could work well with Williams. Um, so that uh, somebody agreeing with you. Uh, right, coming up towards one o'clock, eight minutes to go. Tim, where would you like to take us before the half-time jingle? Well, we've got... Uh Lots of Porsches racing at Le Mans this week in the big race. Yes. Uh, and we have uh, Porsche well, Sprint Challenge um, uh, France uh, taking place as one yeah, of the sport a, that, races. That's a bit of an odd one because it's, uh, it isn't the top division in France. It's not Carrera Cup and, no. and neither is it the GT4 Cup. It's, um, you know, it is very much a, a national series. So it's the one with the Caymans, isn't it? Uh, no, it's not just Caymans. There's, there's 911s in that as well. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought. I thought it was the, the, a similar thing to the Visit Cayman Island Sprint Challenge, Porsche uh, Challenge that, that we have in the UK. But but looking at the entry list, I'm pretty certain, um, and the pictures that they were surprised to us, uh, there was there were Porsches in that as well. So I think it's a bit more like the you know Porsche um, Porsche Club Great Britain um, championships that have different classes for different cars. Actually, you're right but about I'm, that I'm, I'm because um, I'm just reading now, and it is um, reserved for amateur drivers only. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there are going to be 60 of them Porsche 911 GT3R or GT3 Cup machines, mm. mm-hmm. um, including um, a couple of Brits moving across. Oh, really? Yeah. Envy. Uh, Justin Armstrong, who races in the Porsche Carrera Cup GB in the... Now, is he a Pro-Am or an Am? I think he might be an Am, um, but he is generally on the podium in that class in the Porsche Carrera Cup Great Britain. He's going across, and so is Nick Jones, um, who races in the British GT Championship. 
um, in a 911 GT3R. I had hoped that there, it is just 911s, then there aren't any Caymans There aren't any in Caymans, it. no. No, I had hoped it was the French equivalent of that um, because uh, that would have possibly opened up a, uh, a potential for, for me to, to go over and race that. Uh, and I was, uh, I was also investigating for quite a long time a sixth of a drive in the VW Beetle Fun Cup um, uh, on Friday afternoon. Um, but uh, Friday in particular would have been perfect because we, uh, um, yes. you know, by the time that's on, um, we're finishing else up on our track. broadcast here. Yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, not, not, not able to do that. One year, one year, I promise. Uh, Porsche race racing there. somewhere else this weekend, though. Uh, probably Porsches race every weekend, I mean, every everywhere. Weekend everywhere Mazda. Yes. But yeah. specifically, this is something they haven't done before. They're in the DTM, aren't they? They're in the DTM. How are they in the DTM? I thought they couldn't get the things tuned up enough to be in the DTM with its new power um, requirement. This is GT3 DTM. This is, is uh, yes, is GT3R, and it's quicker than GT3s. It's going to have uh, Mikhail Amamullah driving it. Oh, really? Three-time Porsche uh, Porsche Super Carrera Cup, Cup champion. champion. Yeah, uh, yeah Super Cup champion. And He's they, a Carrera Cup Deutschland champion as well. He he took he took a very very long time, and in fact, I think he was the most experienced driver in Super Cup who hadn't won a championship. And then he took his first championship and basically dominated for two further years. Um, Got the clue. He's very good. Yeah, I mean, the interesting about the to, uh, to go back onto this, but. One of the things the DTM wanted to do to differentiate itself from other GT3s was to, to, you know, to turn the wick up a bit. And they were able to do that because all the other cars were turbos, apart from the Porsche. And the Porsche was the thing that held it back because it was already pretty near its maximum, it said, on the standard GT3. So what, how have they got the Porsches there in a, in a way? Give it a bit GTE car. Porsche are happy. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like either you know, we've been fed a line or Porsche have done something different. Uh, he is entered as a guest car, so he's not allowed to score points. Score points. Um, Maybe they've given him a, oh, an perhaps RSR. No. Then. Perhaps, perhaps Porsche are giving it, are seeing what they can get out of it. You know, they're going, okay, right, well, we'll open up the air restrictors, we'll you know, change the mapping, see if we can get the thing reliable with an extra 30 or 40 horsepower. It wasn't a huge amount of extra power it had. Only 30 or 40 horsepower, I think. Uh, Mikhail Amamolo is currently also leading the ADAC GT Masters Championship uh, uh, along with his teammate Mathieu Jaminet. Okay. Uh, I did think I had another DTM story. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> someone else is uh, joining the DTM this weekend as well. Another manufacturer or a person? Uh, another team. Uh, Talks okay. WRT. All oh, right. Um, so this brings. Uh, the size of the grid up to 23 from seven manufacturers. Uh, the Toxport WRT Mercedes will be driven by Lucas Stoltz. Okay. And that is WRT, as in Vincent Voss's team, who are at Le Mans in, w, uh, in um, LMP2 and have history in DTM with Audi and GT3 with Audi. So that that's a... It's, That's a, a it's not that team, it's a sister team, I believe. Right, um, okay. Run by uh, Sadi Embe Buyuk Bayarak. I'll right, try that okay. again. Buyuk Bayarak. There we go. Wicked Bill says, in answer to Nick's question, how do you tune up a GT3 Porsche to get the, p the pace for DTM? 
Uh, it's the plug-and-play performance device. Amma Muller behind the wheel, probably <laughs> worth half a second a lap. Mm. Fair point, well made, WB. Yes. <laughs> uh, two other guest cars. Right. Um, uh, there's another Mercedes uh, in the Team HRT uh, one. It's uh, Hubert Haupt, as you'd expect. Mm. And there is a McLaren, uh, a guest right. McLaren, uh, being driven by Christian Clean. Okay. Oh, your mate. I know. I, I, I wish him well. Yeah. So, uh, DTM at the Nürburgring, um, if you can't think of any other race that you'd rather watch this weekend. <laughs> uh, and that race will be covered in full. That is the uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans 2021 here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Uh, our traditional start, we were... Uh, usurped this morning by Johnny and Brice with uh, bringing us up to date with what's happened so far in the WEC. They'll be back later on today. We'll remind you of the rest of our schedule as we move into the second hour of Midday Motorsport. It's one o'clock in Central France. Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. In the second hour, or most of the hour that we've got to us before we hand over to our commentary team for the exclusive live coverage of Free Practice 1, uh, we'll be speaking to Paul Trustwell as he goes uh, through some of the changes that have happened even quite recently. Johnny Palmer will join us and bring us some of the news ahead of that first Free Practice session. We've got more news from the wide world of motorsports, uh, but next we've got an interview Hopefully, if the phone system works, we'll be talking bikes next on Midday Motorsport here on RS1 for this week, Haggerty, Radio Le Mans. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMans.com. And also, I get a quick opportunity now to tell you uh, something that I should have done earlier, and that's a preview tomorrow's Simcast at the later time of 2310. Um, and because uh, I started this and then we got distracted and moved on to something else without me actually saying anything uh, so they'll be talking about Assetto Corsa's upcoming showcase event uh, R-Factor 2's USF 2000 update and all the latest esports news uh, John, where are we going to go next? Well, Tim, I want to move to a story, actually, that we covered uh, last week a little bit uh, with Nick and myself, that of uh, Valentino Rossi's uh, retirement, announcement of retirement from MotoGP Racing. We said we'd have an expert on to talk about in the coming weeks, and I'm delighted to say that joining us on the phone now, no better expert than Matt Oxley, who... uh, We've said before, Matt, your articles for, for Motorsport magazine are absolutely uh, required reading for anybody who has any kind of interest in, in MotoGP. Thanks for joining us on Haggerty Radio Le Mans and Midday Motorsport as it is this week. Um, maybe not um, not a, a massive surprise what we heard uh, from, from Valentino. Did the timing slightly surprise you or, or was it widely widely known in the paddock? All right, John. It, um, no, it didn't surprise. I mean, I mean, you know, we've been expecting this for for kind of some years. You know, 
three, four, five years. And, you know, he just, just keeps on going. And then, you know, even, even last year he scored one or two podiums. So, you know, he was in the game. And this year uh, it's just all kind of ramped up to another level and he's struggling to get in the top 10. And I think, you know, Rossi, he, he still loves it and he's actually riding faster than he's ever yes. done. You know, he's not got slower. Um, but the, it's, the world's moving on, you know, and um, and I, I think, you know, he's not a stupid man. I think when you're struggling to get into the top 10, you, you can know that it's over, really. It's been a while, in all fairness, and I don't say this in any kind of derogatory way, Mark, but it's been a while since he's been a genuine championship contender. And for a, a man, a competitor, who has such a finely honed competitive instinct... That that must be difficult for him. Yeah, it, I think there's two things there. A, he has this, you know, he's a warrior, he's a competitor, all of that stuff. But also, so yeah, he wants to win. He wants to win. You know, he he, he, he you know he'll do anything to win, like they all would. You know, they'd sell their grandmothers to to win a race. You know, but but on the other on the other hand, he's unlike a lot of races, a lot of top races that he just loves doing it. You know, and and even if he if he's having a great battle for some with somebody for fifth place, he'll come in and have the biggest smile on his face. You, you know, and so that's kind of quite unusual, and that's why he's kept going so long. I think you know, he, even once he sort of passed his kind of peak, but there there is a kind of technical reason why he hasn't done so well over the last few years. It's not only him; like he's ridden for Yamaha most of his MotoGP career, and their bike for the last five years. The, the, the regulations were changed quite significantly for 2016. And Yamaha went from like the dominant force to nowhere, basically. So, so you know, and, and this is something in all forms of motorsport. You know, sometimes you're in the right car or on the right bike and sometimes you're not. And he was on the right bike for quite a while and then he wasn't. So, so it's, it's not just him that's kind of, you know, made his results worse it's also the fact that he's not been on the best bike you know there you go that's what happens we have said for a long time and you know following what you've been saying in in motorsport magazine as well in some ways the extension of of valet's career has been a, a real plus point for motor gp because it's allowed other people to come through there wasn't that cut off say three four or five years ago when we didn't have an obvious successor can anybody be a successor to valentino rossi probably probably not but we've now as uh, as fans become used to rossi being at the bottom end of the top 10 or in the middle of the, the, the top 10. So it's kind of diluted that worry, I think, that MotoGP would have had of what would happen post-Valentino. You, no, absolutely right. You know, that, that he's he hasn't been the story for the last two or three years, you know, or longer. Um, so, you know, if you... You could almost forget he was there sometimes. You know what I mean? Because so, so, yeah, the, the, the new generation has arrived. And some of them are fantastic uh, riders. I mean, just, you know, Mark Marquez, just I've never seen a motorcycle racer like him. Um, you know, he's struggling at the moment with injury. But, um, yeah, the, the, but the, the one thing that we all know is that from a point of view of charisma, there won't be another Valentino Rossi for yeah. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You know, he's a kind of, I mean, I'm not saying he's a Muhammad Ali, but he's kind of, he's a Pele, he's a Mar Maradona, he's a, you know what I mean? He just has that kind of charisma that 
just grabs hold of people that have no interest in motorcycling. Yeah. Um, you know, whether they be kids or grannies or granddads, there's just something about the way he, you know, he, he kind of really expresses his joy at what he's doing all the time. And a lot of motorsport people aren't good at that, you know, because it's such a, you know, motor racing and motorcycling is such a serious kind of science-based sport now that, you know, there's not the sort of room for the fun and laughs that there was when Barry Sheen and James Hunt were doing it. You know, they're just, you know, they spend an hour and a half riding the bikes every day, 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes in the afternoon, and they probably spend four hours looking at a computer screen, probably more. Yeah. So, you know, well, where's the fun in that? But somehow Rossi still managed to, still manages to kind of tell everybody just in the looks in his face, except on the bad days, what a great time he's having, you know. Extraordinarily, you, you mentioned there, Mark Ezzini's injuries. I mean, the extraordinary longevity of Valentino Rossi, um, partially down to the fact that he, he has managed to keep himself fit in a sport where it is difficult to do so. All right, uh, you know, we've talked on this programme many times about the differences that that uh, air fences and, and more latterly airbag suits have, have made uh, for the propensity of, of injury for motorcycle and MotoGP riders. But but Rossi has had that that amazing career down to the fact that he has stayed fit more times than not. Exactly, exactly. I mean, he's broken a lot of bones, as all motorcycle racers yes, do. Yes, um, But he's never had one of those three months in hospital or three months out while waiting to get better again, like people like Marquez have had, McDuan have had, and, and, and so on like that, that's really interrupted their careers, you know, and, and probably affected them mentally as well as physically. Uh, so he's always, you know, I don't think he's ever missed more than, he broke his leg, his, low, his tib and fib at Mugello in 2010, and he missed, let's see, about, he missed about two races, I think, you know, and, 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 and was fighting for the podium when he came back. And, and, and that's, yeah, that, you're right. And, and that's, what is that? Is, it, is that luck? Maybe, but it's also, you know, his brain, you know, which is what yes. separates him from the, that, that he knows there's times to push, there's times to take risks, mm. and there's times to say, you know what, this isn't worth it. You know, I, I you know, you, you've got to. That, that's a that's a that's a situation. That's a consideration you're making all the time in motorcycle racing because you know you're not protected by a carbon fiber safety cell. You've got a, a, a suit of kangaroo or cow leather and a helmet, and and, yeah. and that and that's it basically. You know, uh, and you're doing two two hundred and twenty miles an hour now. Don't. Don't. I, I, look, I ride a bike on the road and I drive cars on the road. I do a bit of motor racing. I don't think I'm a racing driver, but I look at it and then kind of understand what's going on in most cars and, and the effort and the dedication that goes on. I look at motorcycle racing and it's far removed from what I think of as riding a motorbike as football is to snooker i mean they both have balls and nets but that's uh, that's about that's about it it's extraordinary that, I'll, I'll that come. Is, sorry that is absolutely right there is just no there really is no real you know they're riding motorbikes around in circles and you know when you ride at work on your motorcycle you're riding along and you, you've got a throttle and a brake and all that sort of stuff <laughs> but there is no connection no between what these guys are doing out there and what the average Joe is doing while he's riding around on the road. I mean, what they're doing is just superhuman, what they're doing with the, how they're using the different tools on the bike yes. to make them 
do things that no one else would do, you know. I'll come back to, to, to Rossi's state of mind and his thoughtfulness as a as a competitor, as a racer in a moment, because I think that's important as we look to what happens next for Valentino. Um, this announcement coming this year, um, you have got a book coming out at the end of the year, uh, all these races, Valentino Rossi. Now, come on, tell me the truth. Was that already in the planning, given what you were saying about the fact that, you know, we knew it was going to come to an end eventually? Because I tell you what, it's, uh, if, it, if it was, fortuitous timing. Have you, you've had a word with Valle, uh, have you, and worked this out between you? Yeah, I, I had a, did a secret deal with him around the back of the bike shed. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 we've been working on this book for, I can't actually remember when I signed the contract with Evro Publishing was maybe 2017. Because wow. we were like, right, okay, so he's got, you know, he's the biggest star the sport's ever had. I've already written a couple of books on him and it's, and, and, and they came up with an interesting idea for a book. And I was like, yeah, I'm up for that. Um, but basically, basically they, did, they did one on Senna called Ayrton Senna or, his, all his races yeah and Nicky um, Lauder as well actually yeah right yeah so it's, just, it's the same kind of format you know so every single race motorbike race he's ever done since he started the European Championship in 1995 um so yeah we started on 27 2018 I think thinking that oh god he's going to retire any moment now you know <laughs> so every year it's like <laughs> oh here we go better add another chapter you know so so, so yeah we were kind of thinking he might retire at the end of last year and then and then he was like no i'm gonna carry on okay fair enough and, and then at the start of this year he said he wants to carry on into 2022 and we're like oh my god you know this is, i'm gonna be dead before he retires you know and, <laughs> and, and into uh, a third volume of the book yeah, as well it's yeah, good yeah. and, and then so obviously his results weren't very good so he retired but yeah so you know and i was I, i'm kind of quite happy he's going really because you know it's, it's uh, I've never thought it's time before, but it's time now. Mm. And, you know, he can do whatever he likes. He doesn't have to retire, but he's, like I said, he's not stupid. And he knows that this is the right time. And, you know, uh, it, it will be very, very, very strange when he goes. And, I mean, there's a race at uh, the la his last race in Italy will be in September, the mm. San Marino Grand Prix at Pisano. And then the last race will be Valencia in Spain in, no in November. So, so they're going to be... Unbelievable. Pretty weird, pretty weird. Because his fat, his the his hardcore fans, you know, he's like a deity to them. Yes. You know, um, he's like a deity to, to a lot of the people into into MotoGP. So so it's going to be emotional. Let's say you know. British Grand Prix, of course, coming up in a couple of weekends' time. So last chance to see him um, racing on a motorbike, at least, uh, yep. at, at Silverstone uh, for the British. That's the bank holiday weekend. Going to try and get over uh, for for a bit of that, certainly. Um, it could have been a different story, Matt, with Valentino, because... Um, his mum in particular wasn't keen on him going into motorbikes and he actually started racing in carts, didn't he? He was, he was pretty good. He won a regional yeah. championship. Exactly. His his father, Graziano, uh, he, he, he raced motorbikes and he won Grand Prix in the late 70s. He rode for Suzuki, for Yamaha, Italian factory, Morbidelli. And he ended his career in 1982 with a big crash at uh, Imola. And he suffered pretty serious head injuries. He was not He was unconscious for quite a while. And he's still not 100%. I mean, he's, you know, he can he can live a completely normal life. But, you know, it's just, you can just tell that he's not quite all there. So when when he started getting Valentino racing, yeah, they were doing carts. Um, and he was pretty good winning regional championships. And then they were kind of looking at the next stage and looking at the money and going, you know, because Graziano 
you know, didn't make a lot of money out of racing, as people didn't then. No. And uh, look, they were looking at the money like, oh my God, you know, to do the Italian proper kart championships cost X million lira, and we can't <laughs> afford that. And just at that same time, this huge craze had started in Italy for mini motor. Oh, yes. like, they're, they're, they're tiny little sort of 30, 40 cc motorbikes, which a four-year-old can ride perfectly comfortable, five-year-old, six-year-old. And uh, they bought one of these for Valentino and, he, and straight away he said, I actually prefer this. Can we go, can we go motorbike wow. racing? And that's, and that was when he was nine or 10, I think. And I think they forged his age certificate. So he could <laughs> racing before, before he, he was meant to, as people did those days. So, so you're talking 1989. Right. Yeah. The, Around about there, 1989, 1990, when he would have started Mini Moto, then his first Grand Prix in 1996. So th- this is his 26th Grand Prix season, and no, no, no Formula One driver has done that. No. You know, he's done 21 seasons in the Premier class. No Formula One driver has done that, uh, and it is, it is just mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling to survive that long physically, mentally, and everything else. When when he's, you know, I hate to think how much money he's got in the bank, but, but you know he does. That never bothers him particularly. You know, he's not he's not there for that. You know, I, I what I what I do like about Valentino is um, he's in some respect put his money where his charisma is, um, not necessarily his mouth because he, he's not been particularly mouthy down through the years. He's he's let his riding and his charisma do do the talking. But with Sky VR forty six, he's um, keeping himself within the uh, the Grand Prix paddock for for motorcycle racing that is entering a new chapter of course um, for uh, next season that will keep him a little bit busy but he's made no secret Matt that he would like to do some more four wheeled racing uh, he's he's won the the Monza Rally Sprint. Um, We've seen him in endurance racing in GT3 cars, notably the Gulf 12 Hours, the Double Six as it is over there, and one or two other things that we've covered down through through the years. And and he did mention, as far as our listeners and we're concerned here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, the magic words when he was asked, he would like to go and do the Le Mans 24 Hours. And this week of all weeks, um, of course, we have to talk about that. Is that, from what you know of the man, is that a genuine desire for him? And, you know... Is he good enough and could he use that thinking brain and apply himself enough at his age to go and do that level of, of GT or endurance racing? 100% he wants, he wants to do the more. The, th- the thing about Valentino, even when he was young, unlike a lot of racers, he had a, a real kind of sort of concept of the history of racing and what mattered and who mattered and what tracks mattered, what events mattered. You know, he really, a lot of racers, they only know about the next five minutes, the next week, the next year. He he knew everything about everything, you know? And 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 I think he's the same in car racing. And and he's always loved car racing, you know. Like like as you said, he started out in cars and, and he's been doing all kinds of uh, well he did a, he's done a couple of rounds of the World Rally Championship, hasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you know he's competed at pretty high level and one hundred percent. He's already said he wants to do the Le Mans twenty four hour. I think, like you know, quite a few Formula One drivers in the last few years has seemed to have like, right, I've done Formula One. Now I want to do the kind of the classics, the adventure races, if you like. You know, Daytona, Le Mans. You know, those kind of sort of fantastic races where you can probably go out and have a lot of fun. You know, you're still driving. 
there's a lot of pressure, but it's not quite the same as doing Formula yeah. One. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and, 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 and as we keep saying, he's a clever man. So he's yeah. been building up doing these, you know, the races in the Gulf and so on. He's been with his brother and uh, Uccio, his friend. Uh, so he's been building up that kind of uh, knowledge and know-how to the point where he, you know, he won't he won't go out in the mall if he's not going to be competitive. And no. I'm, I'm sure he will. I have no doubt that he will be competitive. Yeah, and with Ferrari uh, looking to build a car for the new regulations, the new hypercar regulations, could he step into that? Well, maybe. I wouldn't put it past well, him. He I was mean, quick in a Formula One car when he tested. All right, it's a, a little bit... Uh, longer ago, but um, there was a time, was there not, Matt, that that, that was, it wasn't a joke, that was almost on the cards for, for Rossi to go and, and race Formula One. Absolutely. So he, I can't remember, I think it was 2004, 2005 was when he first tested a Ferrari and he was there at, um, at the test track with Schumacher and, and then over the next couple of years, he was more and more regular testing with Ferrari. And Ferrari, you know, they said they wanted them. They 100% wanted him in Formula 1. Eccleston said he wanted him yeah, in of Formula 1. Um, and, and it seemed to be going that way. We all thought, right, well, that's it. He's going Formula 1 in 2007. Bye-bye, Valentino. Um, fair enough. You know, whatever. He can do whatever he wants. And, uh, you know, in the, in the final analysis, he sat down and said, you know what? I still enjoy riding bike. Of course he did. So, so, but Ferrari said at that time there will always be a door open at Ferrari for Valentino Rossi. So, you know, no one has a profile like Valentino. No. So, so if if he if he goes pretty well next year, um, in what, what is it, Super GT, GTE? Uh, well, he's doing. He's been doing GT3, but he could probably jump okay. into a GTE car. Um, okay, so, so if maybe he, an LMP2. Yeah, if he drives that well enough, then why on earth wouldn't wouldn't Ferrari put him in the proper car the next year? Matt, you know, why Matt, 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 you, Matt you know. I, I, just don't even suggest it. Le Mans is with a, a full 230,000 people there is mental enough. Add Valentino Rossi into that. It'd be brilliant, but it'd be bedlam to try and get any work done. I, I mean, presumably Ferrari would... Uh, would run two cars oh yes at least yeah they're, yes. and they're talking about so, yeah. customer cars as well so there's also yes. the so, the opportunity so, so they, there they would have the number one car with the three best drivers they can get and then they'd have a number two car with three pretty good drivers and and you know maybe two brilliant drivers and valentino rossi but i i really think that he would be competitive because you, mm. you know you, whenever he's been in a car he's always been fast and, and and you know that's even while it was just his kind of hobby while he was racing bikes you know so if he actually if he's actually you know focusing properly on that and he will because he doesn't muck about with anything he does he properly goes for it um you know he ne he never kind of counts the money and runs you know what yeah. i mean no indeed so there. he's there because he wants to race that's why he's there 100 percent. so Let's... yeah i mean that that what a fabulous um Oh, I, 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 I mean, it, I, I'd love it in one respect, but it's just, it, it would be amazing. It'd be absolutely. Think of the grandstands with yellow. Get, get the number forty-six. Yeah, there'd be, there'd be a lot. There'd be a lot of people in yellow all of a sudden. At get, the more get the number forty-six uh, reserved already for for, for that yeah, car. Let, exactly, let's yeah. let's finish off going back to the book. First of all, when is when are we likely to see it? Obviously, now it can't come out before the end end of the the season. No, Matt. no. Well, I mean it's. I think it's basically press the print button on the uh, on the uh, Monday after Valencia. So well, I, I, I think 
which is the last race is on November the 14th. I think that will be his last race after. So Senna, the Senna, all his races, he sent the, the book that Evro did. He did 161 Grand Prix. By Valencia, Valentino will have done something like 436 oh or something like that. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just mind-boggling. I mean, it's literally, you just cannot believe that anybody... So, so the, the plan is, so it comes out being published... Uh, we hope to get some copies before Christmas, right? Um, and but I don't think we'll be able to guarantee all copies before Christmas. That's the plan. That's and, you know, like I say, it's been a been a big old project, um, and, and and luckily I've had like three, four years to work on it. So um, yes. you know, I'm, I'm actually literally just in the uh, before you called in the process of writing picture captions. So yeah. <laughs> um, a, a, a labour of love. I'm, I'm sure, Matt. Can't wait for that. Let's get that on all of our Christmas lists, uh, listeners collective. There. Um, just uh, uh, this is an impossible question for you to answer, but I'm going. I've got to ask it anyway. What do? How do you sum up Valentino Rossi's career, and what would be his legacy, Matt? Totally unprecedented. Uh, just from every point of view, you know, unprecedented from his success. He's won more MotoGP races than anybody else, even more than Agostini. So, so he is the most successful rider in history in the Premier class. But that's just one thing about him, you know. You know, the other thing is that he just he, he just attracts people. He's just attractive, you know, in all kinds of ways. You know, men, women, boys, girls, grannies, granddads, everyone. You know, rich people, poor people, people all across the world. You know, I mean, you, wherever you go, you see 46 stickers, you know, in the most wherever you go. You know, you could probably go to Ulaanbaatar and drive around there. I guarantee you'd find a, you'd find a car or a motorbike with a 46 sticker on it. You know, so so no, I, I'm not sure that any any motor car driver has had. Uh, su- no, I such agree. A, a global uh, stamp as, as as Rossi, you know, that it's just everybody seems to love him, which is yeah, it's it's very special, and, and he deals with it all so nonchalantly, you know. When he, I was there when he in the in the room when he announced his retirement, you know, a few of us were allowed in, and um, and and he was just brilliant in that, you know. The, 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 most riders would have collapsed in tears, you know, but he was just. He was just spot on, just said everything just right, just yeah. had the right kind of angle on everything. And, and, and basically the, the the thing that came through it all the time was I've enjoyed myself, you know? <sighs> That's, yeah. you know, that I think is probably the best thing you can say about anybody who's had a long career like that. Exactly. Matt, exactly. We'll, we'll get you back on when the book is a little more imminent and you can give us some more detail, but keep an eye out for it. it, it the details will all be on Evro Publishing's website. Uh, it's Valentino Rossi, all his races. Matt Oxley uh, from uh, Motorsport Magazine, thank you very much indeed for, for joining thank us here awesome. on Midday Motorsport and Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Cheers, mate. I know it's going to be a busy few weeks for you. Enjoyed it a lot. Thanks a lot. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Matt. Thank you. Matt Oxley joining us on the Matt Oxley joining us on the telephone there uh, here on Haggerty Radio. Lamont Nick Damon is with me. Um, I mean, nice to have an expert on. Yeah, it's always good to have an expert on. Isn't I it? think it yes. does worry me, as you know, when we get experts on. Yeah, but but you know, um, broadly speaking, I think we got got the story got the story right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you and I have both seen Valet in cars. That's that's where he's going to go. Yeah. There is an opportunity for him. That absolutely yeah, I mean, is. I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're in Le Mans week, so we, we've got to develop I, that a wee I'm bit. I'm just going to say now that next year he will be in a GTE Am Ferrari. Because he'll be a bronze, of he'll course. He'll be a bronze. He'll be a very he'll rapid be, bronze. And the only question is whether he'll do it for fun with his mates, his brother and his, his best friend, or whether he'll do it seriously and take advantage of the uh, core of Ferrari drivers who can join him for a, uh, you know, because as the bronze, he can have anybody else with him, can't he? He's a gold and a platinum, can't he? Or a platinum and yes. a silver. So he'll be able to you know, pick a mix. So I, my guess is that is going to be a very, very rapid car. Um, and So it, do you think he could win GTEM next year? Well, I think it, if we... GTEM is won by, we always say... LMP2 and GTEM are won by the slowest driver. You take away the, the bad luck. The lowest the good luck. rated driver. Yes, take away the yeah. bad luck and the good luck of actually running yes, the cars. Yes, 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 yes. So if you said the, your, your bronze driver is Valentino Rossi, who was almost in F1, you kind of think that's going to be quite quick. Yeah. And therefore that limitation's gone. So it's, it's really, as I said, whether he decides to do it as a, I want to win or I just want the experience. Right. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, the and thing is, he's forward, how old is he now? 46? No, he's 42. 42. Isn't he? All right, okay. Yeah. So he could possibly get to silver, but I don't think he'll go any, ever go any higher than silver. No, I think he'd, he'd have to have some, some remarkable success somewhere to do that, yeah. Of course, if he wanted to drive at the moment, if he wanted to drive in LMDH, he'd have to be a gold or a platinum. But oh. I think they're going to waive that. What, Mr. Force Majeure? Do you oh, yeah, OK. Oh, hello, ACO. Do you want Valentino Rossi in your car? No, we don't, because he's not the right rating. OK, fine, we won't put him in then. And get another 100 <laughs> bazillion <laughs> like, people uh, at the track. Any team it would love to have him as a bronzo, wouldn't they? Oh, absolutely. No other wonder I can't get drives. Well, you know, in fairness, if you if you if you were a nine-time world champion, perhaps you could. Um, <laughs> fair point. In any category, <laughs> I'm a nine-time world. Even RC. Cha- I'm a well, I'm a nine-time world champion in my mind. Does that count? I don't. Well, to think about all those successes you had in football manager. Well, it, well, now you see that, that's that's a whole different. That's a whole di- and FIFA, and FIFA. Um, can you imagine what Le Mans, though, as I said there to, to Mark, can you imagine what Le Mans would look like? It would be like a minion convention that'd be that much yellow. Yes, it would. Um, we always had a we had a sniff of it a couple of years ago when Fernando turned up for the first time. That that upped the ante quite considerably. It's like a, I suppose he'll be he'll be the equivalent of Fernando and Patrick Dempsey all rolled into one, won't he? And the, everyone will go crazy, the girls and the boys. Yeah, it'll be f- fantastic, fantastic. You're listening to Haggerty Radio Le Mans. That's all in the future. Let's come back to the here and now. Uh, we're coming into the last portion of the programme because coming up we've got exclusive live coverage of FP1. We'll run down the rest of the programmes before we hand over to to Johnny Palmer. Tim Gray, uh, where would you like us to go now? Uh, we're not going anywhere. We're staying at Le Mans. Uh, right. But for those people who can't go to Le Mans this year, yeah. uh, I have some good news. Because you have until February 2022, mm-hmm. which is still uh, six months Once away, away. Yeah. 20th yeah. of February 2022, in fact, yeah. uh, to go to the Le Mans Museum uh, for a special Toyota exhibition, which since yesterday has had uh, an extra exhibit. Yeah, they, they unveiled the TSO 50, didn't they? Yes, the number eight car, which won the 88th edition of Le Mans uh, with Sebastian Buemi, Brendan ago. Hartley and Kazuki Nakajima, oh, uh, is on permanent loan to the uh, Le Mans 24 Hours Museum as of yesterday. Well, when we can all travel... I, I tell you what, you know, if you ever... 
you know, people who do travel through Europe, if you're driving through Europe and you can go past Le Mans, go past Le Mans because here it's a, it's a great city. It's a lovely city. The architecture is fantastic. Um, uh, and it's so different when you're not in the middle of a race, week race as week. well. Yes, uh, that is very true, Tim. You did, you, you, those weren't the right winners. Really? Because you said Brendan Hartley, but Brendan Hartley's driving it this year. It was one, but it was, it was one. It was Alonso in the car. Uh, that's a good point. Um, the it's at the top of the Loire Valley for for the vineyards, which are legion and lovely. There's great food around there as well with the restaurants, um, and you've got the Le Mans Museum, which I is like I've been there uh, oddly only been there once. I think that was classic weekend we went, didn't it? Yeah. Before I got my heat stroke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But um, no, it's really, really interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I would totally recommend it. I have to be honest with you, I, the uh, Indian Museum's even more spectacular. I've not been. Oh, to the Indian Museum fabulous. is very good. I've not been to Indianapolis. I've been to the city, but not to the track. I've driven past it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I drove past it once. I, I, and the track two. obviously isn't in the race, city. Yeah. It's outside the city limits in the town of Speedway, Indiana. Mm. Uh, just after before we move on hang on oh, hang on go on sorry, sorry. Uh, because <laughs> this uh, Toyota exhibition at the Le Mans yeah. Museum doesn't just have the TSO 50 right uh, there is also the 86C in the Leighton House colours raced by oh. Satoru Nakajima Masanori Sakia and Jeff Lees in 1986 have they got a paddock jacket They're I always wanted a Leighton House <laughs> paddock jacket there is colour. the number 33 TSO 10 from 1992 in the Casio livery. There's yeah, the 94CV, uh, number one car from 1994. Both those cars finished second in the race. Um, Sakia joined by Pierre-Henri Raffanel and Kenny Aitchison uh, in the Atchison. former. And uh, Eddie Irvine, Mario Martini and Jeff Krosnoff in the 94CV. I remember that one. That was that was the one where the gear lever snapped, and uh, you can also see um, Jeff Krosnoff's number year? twenty-seven Supra LM, uh, which he shared with Mario Martini and Marco Apicella. Uh, the, the first one that had Ratzenberger's name on the car as well, because he he just um, lost his life, of course. That um, um, that car uh, finishes a run-up in. Um, that was eighty-five, wasn't it? That. Uh, yeah. Um, Supra. All right. Okay. And then move on. There's a TSO uh, twenty. Right. Can we just move on now? You just you're just now listing Naming things. And the TSO thirty. We work with pictures. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fine. Uh, so there's museum, lots of Toyota. Museums open every day except Christmas Day. <laughs> uh, Johnny Palmer joins us. Good, good afternoon, Johnny Palmer. I assume you're going to get a big envelope through from the uh, museum fairly soon, <laughs> Tim, for that publicity. Hello, everybody. I should hope so. Yeah. Hello, Hello, Johnny. Hello, JP. JP, have you have you recovered from? We've also got Paul Trustwell with us as well. Hello, Mr. Trustwell. Hello, Paul. <laughs> uh, Nick was otherwise engaged on Sunday. We were all involved in, in Test Day. Uh, JP, have you have you recovered from from what we saw on Test Day? And, uh, and uh, is it making any more sense to you? I'll ask you that question first. No, no, not at all. I, I don't think we can draw a great deal of uh, huge huge amount of data from. I mean, we did have nine hours of running, in fairness, so there's, uh, there are plenty of times knocking around, but I'm still unsure as to stint lengths for a lot of cars and also, you know, how many people were kind of keeping things under wraps uh, to display potentially today and certainly tomorrow. 
And we have one driver change since the uh, test day, don't we, Johnny? In the number 17 Edex Sport car, uh, we've lost Kyle Tilley. We have, unfortunately, yeah. It's, uh, I think this has been a, a bit of a moot point for a while, actually, because of an accident at Indianapolis in a NASCAR race. And, yes, he announced earlier today or late yesterday that uh, he would no longer be able to be part of the 17 car. So they have brought in, which is a very interesting move, Tom Laurent, who will be he, he, back to Le Mans for a fifth time, but uh, in a in a different car again. He he dropped out, actually, of... Uh, some of the competition last weekend because yeah. of the the we, we were talking about it weren't we on um i think we were talking about it on test day with shay weren't we yes. our vp racing field put and paddock reporter yeah the race result for that infinity event he he was labeled as withdrawn so yes the yeah. the, the, the problem get to um it kind of uh, manifested itself earlier on in the weekend i assume i don't know i wasn't following that weekend but yes shay had all the details and unfortunately for that car and that team that's actually a second year running now where they've had to do mm. a very late change to their driver lineup after dwight merriman was injured last september a couple of things paul um that we will have to look out for in fp1 which comes up in uh, well green flag for that in 25 minutes time uh robin french has to do five complete laps because he wasn't here on test day uh, nobody can hear paul john of the test day might have been extended in order to allow people to do both events uh, in the end it wasn't feasible um, because he's a platinum driver um, there's um, no huge problem about him um, having the requisite skills and ability to drive at Le Mans um, it's just that it's a bit of a tradition um, and I think to an extent a fair tradition um, that the ACO wants to uphold that um, you know, Le Mans is something special. Similar things happen at Indianapolis. Similar things happen uh, at Nürburgring for the 24-hour race there. You have to prove that you are uh, worthy to do it. And just because you are a good driver, you do need to um, step through some hoops uh, in order to do so. And, yeah, Robin Frines, um, as you've just said, has this uh, requirement. He's not obliged to do the 10 laps in the test day as everybody else is, but because he's platinum, and I assume he's written his note to the headmaster, because without that note, he doesn't get anywhere. Um, but <laughs> the, the note to the headmaster and the note to the uh, race director to say why he wasn't uh, at the test day, um, and then he just has to, as you say, do these five laps during free practice one, or free practice two, which is in effect night practice. Yeah. Um, but either of those will be. Uh, oh, it's either. Uh, okay. Will yes. be enough for him to uh, to qualify to participate in the race, um, and he is the only one, as far as I know, who um, falls into any other uh, any worrying category. The other one would have been Kyle Tilley. Yes. Um, but uh, he has um, taken a different route, um, as in uh, not participating at all. Uh, Nick, um, Nick Dearman um, is always wanting to count the pennies. <laughs> and um, how much did that all, cost? All the Formula E dispensations were three, they cost 3,000 euros each. All the guys who didn't turn up at test day had to give a, a as Paul rightly says, a letter to the headmaster, but it was accompanied by a cheque for 3,000 euros. I think it was 10 of them, wasn't there? Yeah. All 10 right. or 11, yeah. Okay, very good. So nice way you can get it, isn't it? You get money for not turning up. <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, very good. Um, I, 
Paul, I'll ask you the same question that I asked uh, JP there. Um, what, if anything, could we glean from the weekend? Uh, Glickenhouse on top with a, a, a Banzai lap nearing the end that Toyota couldn't react to because of a of a yellow flag situation in the last seven or seven or eight minutes. Um, but that said, I think Glickenhouse will be quite pleased. Uh, all of the um, global prototypes, the LMH cars, were right on the money as far as the times that they were meant to be setting, all within a reasonable spread of each other, a few tenths of each other, just under the three minutes 30 mark. I mean, it was incredibly close. Um, yes, Glickenhaus ended up on top, but uh, um, the, the gaps between the hypercars was very close indeed. But um, cynical smile or wry smile to myself, um, that's what was supposed to happen. The hypercar regulations <laughs> are so written so that you can do any number of things with your aero or with your uh, engine or with uh, various other things. But ultimately, the performance of the car um, is constrained uh, by what the regulations say. So it, it was good that it was close and um, it was surprising that it was close, um, but also satisfying because it shows that hypercar as a concept seems to work. Um, one thing that Johnny did say, um, and I totally agree with, um, you don't quite know how much dry powder um, was being kept um, so how much people were showing their 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 hand as to what they were capable of doing. Um, so it, and, and that's going to be a danger in any balance of performance class or any class that is uh, controlled by balance of performance. You're always going to get um, a team saying only use 10,000 revs here, please, or just take it a bit easy when you're going through Arnage. So, you know, go fast the rest of it because we'll be able to control where you But and so there'll be just a little bit of, um, yeah, just something up the sleeve of most of them, I would imagine. Um, I think it was significant as well looking at sector times because the Toyotas were quickest in both the first and the final sector, um, which is basically from the start line through to Tete Rouge and the beginning of the Mulsan Strait, and then from the end of the Mulsan Strait back home again. Um, the Glickenhaus's speed and that margin of um, advantage that it has to get it at the top of the timing lists all came from the Mulsan Strait. Um, and that's a lot to do with the fact that um, although it's a hypercar, it is not a hybrid. Um, it's a, it's a two-wheel drive delivering all its power from its engine, um, from its um, internal combustion engine. Um, and that is really delivering the goods down the Mulsan Strait. And in terms of overtaking people, that's where you want it. Um, the true. Toyotas may have this advantage through the corners, but if they've got P2 cars that are only 1% or 2% slower than they are, they're not going to be able to overtake them through the Porsche curves. Make no mistake. Uh, and Johnny, as far as the rest of the day is concerned, free, two free practice sessions that, that bracket the day. But there is a qualifying session just for an hour uh, in the later part of, of the afternoon. If you don't make Hyperpole, that's it. That is your qualifying yes. session. There's no more tomorrow. So we are determining for an hour the grid positions from seventh back. And this was a bizarre In each class. In each class. In each class. Yeah, yes. correct. So uh, there really is no time to waste. And I don't think that many teams are going to be going through lots of their drivers. I think they'll select a qualifying driver and, and that will be the person that drives that car for the bulk of the hour. Yes, there's the option, of course, to 
come in and refuel and change tyres to a, a new set of Michelins or Goodyears, depending on which class you're in. But um, there really isn't going to be a moment to lose because track position is going to be key. Everybody yeah. is out on track together. It's not a split, split session. So 62 cars potentially, and you're looking for the gaps to try and get into the, the, the hotly contested top six positions for Hyperpole. The exception is hypercar because we only have five in the entry, so they are yeah, all automatically into that session. But I do remember, I mean, this was this was a format adopted for the first time last year, last September, where we had a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday meeting. Uh, so you've got 10 hours of free practice, but one hour of qualifying. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so free practice coming up in a little under uh, 20 minutes time. We'll... Um, continue to broadcast between free practice and the start of qualifying which is just before seven o'clock central european time uh, we'll, we're on the air at uh, 10 2 so that's 10 to 6 uk 10 to 7 in uh, in france for a, uh, an hour's worth of, of qualifying in that gap uh, we'll hand off to paul tarsi and the uh, and the um, classic uh, the classic team if you will, uh, because the Endurance Masters uh, are supporting the Le Mans 24 again this year. So uh, so we thought it'd be a good idea to highlight some of the cars in those two races. We'll bring you some coverage uh, on Saturday with Bruce Jones and Joe Bradley uh, of those beautiful uh, old cars. And historic racing news, radio team led by Paul Tarsi uh, have got a preview for that. And then before qualifying, uh, Johnny will be back with the story so far for one of the other uh, doubleheader support series this uh, this weekend. The Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, has had three events so far this year. Normally supports the European Le Mans series, of course. So uh, Johnny will bring us up to date with that. And again, we'll have coverage of that. Uh, it'll be uh, Johnny and Peter Mackay who call those races on Thursday and Saturday, then the qualifying for an hour, then the first of a series of programmes you'll hear this week on Haggerty Radio Le Mans, about 1991, the historic year when Mazda became the first uh, of the uh, first of the Japanese manufacturers to win uh, the big race, and they are still the only pe people who have done it with something other than a standard piston engine, of course. Pierre Didonne. Were, had been a long time part of Mazda before that 1991 race and was indeed afterwards. He was in the slightly older car, the 787, um, not the 787B, which were the two brand new uh, cars for, for that year. He'll have his Le Mans retrospective 1991. As I say, that's the start of a series of programmes that will include some of our Radio Le Mans team and their remembrances uh, of the weekend. And that's uh, Paul and uh, Martin Haven as well was in the pits that year. That'll be later on in the weekend. And then before we get to the second, the, the night practice that Johnny talked about there, which is a little before 10 o'clock French time, so 5 to 9 UK. Uh, what is a hypercar? We'll go through that for those of you who perhaps have been asking all the questions. We'll try and answer them with our two colleagues from Race Car Engineering, the editor, Andrew Cotton, and the deputy, deputy editor and engine whisperer, whisperer Stuart Mitchell. Uh, uh, and then strap in, 
settle down with a bit of a beverage. Half nine French time, half eight in the UK for 2021's edition, Marriott's Memories. Andrew, uh, going back through the roller decks of his stories after a career uh, spanning far too many years than he would like us to mention in motorsport. And uh, we'll be asking him about some of his Le Mans Marriott memories. Uh, that's uh, half eight in the UK, half nine. Uh, for the moment, uh, at least, thank you to uh, Johnny and to Paul Truswell. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Johnny along with Bruce Jones and Joe Bradley, who are going to take the first stint uh, of qualify, oh, excuse me, a free practice in about 10 or 11 minutes' time. Tim, before we end up this slightly truncated version of Midday Motorsport, what have you got to tell us? Uh, well, obviously, uh, one of our regular weekly shows is On The Grid, which looks at motorsport from a Australian perspective. Normally, that's on RS1 at 9pm on a Thursday night. Um, unfortunately, we can't do that this week because 9pm uh, on Thursday... Uh, is in the middle of free practice four. Is it? All right. Yeah. Oh, yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So tomorrow on the grid will be at the much earlier time of midday. Okay. Excellent. Uh, midday UK midday time. UK. That's one okay. o'clock okay. in, uh, in France. Uh, okay. And this week, uh, obviously, they'll be looking for an Australian angle oh. on Le Mans. And they found one uh, in Scott Andrews, uh, who is originally from Torquay in Victoria. Right. He'll be joining them on the show uh, so to talk about his uh, life in the US, racing in the WEC and in the IMSA championships at the same time. Uh, and uh, basically moving from Australia onto the world stage of sports cars. They're also going to be joined by Chad Nalon uh, to talk about uh, MotoGP in Austria, uh, which we had never really mentioned. We talked about um, uh, a lot of Valentino Rossi with uh, mm. uh, Matt Oxley, but uh, um, extraordinary race finish, wasn't it? It really was. So, so that's oh, by the way. So that's on the on grid. grid. That's directly before tomorrow. Directly before we have our live track action. Then. Yes. Is that right? Immediately that before right? free okay. practice three. Okay. Uh, um, MotoGP at the weekend. I mean, uh, just ex uh, just extraordinary. Binder uh, dancing no, on ice. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, it's it just goes to show that sometimes if you have nothing to lose and throw the dice, it, it comes out and, and you and you gain from it. And Brad Binder thoroughly deserved that win because he didn't follow the, the herd and go in. Um, the top six, of course, were all uh, racing each other. They all went in together. They were all thinking about points. Um, two things I'll, I'll say from that. I think that um, Quattro will be very happy with how well the Yamaha went at a track, which isn't any good for Yamahas, considering the rest mm. of the tracks to come, and he picked up points again. And I just feel that Marquez needs to calm down. I think he's got it. I think the speed's there. I think he's coming back, but he's overriding. I'm not sure if it's because he's got a personal panic or because the bike's not good enough yet, but I think his form's coming back, but he's just too aggressive at the moment. I think the problem he's got is he's lost the ability to bully the others. The others have, uh, aren't frightened of him anymore. Um, that aura's gone um, from the time he's been off and his comeback, so he's got he's to recalibrate his own brain about how to race these, these guys. Uh, uh, how do you assess Binder's ride at the end. I, I, I thought, I'll be honest with you, I thought 
when they'd gone the three laps to go, you might as well have, have hung it out. Yeah, the, the top guys all went in together because they're racing. It's right, okay, we should say it. It's start, if you didn't see it, dry spoiler alert. Dry, 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 dry. Exactly the opposite of, of, of what happened last week in, in um, Mortal 3 when... Yes, uh, when Brad Binder went on slicks <laughs> from the Binder. Uh, sorry, dr- da- Darren Binder went on slicks from the start, and it didn't dry up quick enough. This time, it got wet, and it got wet. Yes, I mean, very quickly at the end. They, they, the guys came in. The top six came in on mass and did the hopping off the bike thing, which is always very amusing. Uh, Binder, I, th- I don't think he was. Seven, oh, I love those eighth. flag, he, flag um, races. He effectively went up, stayed on when it was damp when they came in, but then it rained really, really hard. And the last lap, he'd lost everything grip-wise. He was 15 seconds slower. But I think it was Bagnaia, wasn't it? Came second in the end, was it? Uh, and um, who was charging through on the slicks? Yeah, who, oh, on the, uh, on the wet. nine people. Yeah. On the wet. So if it be, if it, if it had been one more lap, it would have been uh, a disaster, and he would have been either off or in in tenth. But it wasn't. It was absolutely worked out perfectly. He was so drifting well done. in a straight line. Well done. Unbelievable. You know, because the temperature, you're okay. You, you, you can run slicks in the wet for a while, but when they get cool, you've had it. And that last lap, he'd had it. But he managed to stay on, and he won. And I can only say, well done. Because I'd have been off in the first corner. Next race? Ooh, good question. It's Silverstone next week. There you go. Which I can't go to. Last last chance to see. Um, I need to say Alexander Rossi there. Valentino Rossi. No relation. The last on time two on wheels. Bike. On two wheels at Silverstone. Who and knows if, we, if, if, the, if we get a WC round back at Silverstone next year? That's what why I said on there? two wheels. What am, I doing? What, am I, what am I not doing if I'm doing this? I'm not holding my breath for that. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that's going to be a hard sell for a few years, if I'm I'm very honest. Uh, almost time to wrap up. Uh, quick reminder, at Radio Le Mans. Hang on. Hashtag Haggerty RLM. But where would you like to go? Uh, where would you like to go next, Tim? Uh, uh, can I say off? another awful weekend for John McPhee? Uh, it wasn't the best. He did a tyre gamble as well and it didn't work. Uh, you know. Didn't hit anyone this week, though. No. He's prob- there, there is a real problem with John McPhee. If you don't know about Mortal 3, you do age out. You age out of that. And I think he's only got one more season in it. Is it 26 or 27? And you age out of Mortal GP? Uh, Mortal 3? There's talk of, of, you know, Binder going uh, straight into um, uh, into Mortal GP to join his brother. And yeah, missing oh, out more or two. I th- we can talk about this in two weeks' time because it, it's it's all really weird what's going on there now. Yamaha can't find any riders <laughs> for what should be the best rookies bike going, and they really are. I mean, I don't want to have a go at the people they eventually pick, but there is a definite scraping of barrels going on here. And of course, Petr. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I was losing a little bit. SRT have lost a sponsorship as well. Petronas have gone. Right. So the 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 secondary bike, which seems so lovely, now is is under finance as well. So uh, yeah. It's not looking great. <laughs> right. But it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But it'll, it'll sort itself out. Right. We're talking about this now be ahead of Silverstone because there's no midweek motorsport at any time next week. It, it, traditionally, we give everybody uh, a little time to lie down in a darkened room and rub themselves with warm halibut oil um, and recover from yes. Le Mans. And the excellent news, of course, is when we come back in two weeks' time, I'm going to say a heretical word here at the Le Mans weekend, F1's back, so it's fine. <laughs> Hooray! Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, oh, yeah. uh, All right, <laughs> so uh, Silverstone, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, for those of you in the UK, or perhaps if you can travel, then uh, I think it's going to be absolutely packed. 
to the Gunnels. Uh, good ticket sales, I'm being told. And, the, and uh, yeah, and no limits on attendance. And it's a bank holiday weekend as well. Yeah, so you can have a really good day Sunday and you've got Monday to get over it. Yeah, And did exactly. you mention Moto2? Uh, no, do you know what? I've not watched Moto 2 yet. I, I, it's the one I leave till last, and I have been so busy with it's definitely Haggerty not a case Ridge of saving the best to last. Uh, no, that, there is a reason I prioritise. It's Moto 3 first, uh, then Moto GP, and Moto 2 comes afterwards. So, uh, thank you for all the nice th- things you said. By the way, whilst we're we're on about Moto GP, about Matt Oxley, we will try and get him back on again. Uh, Declan Brennan has already told Mrs. Race Tool that his Christmas present this year is Matt Oxley's book. So uh, that sounds like a few of you will be doing that. Last couple of minutes, Tim. How do you want to get us uh, to the final jingle? Oh, you want me to find more content? Oh, no. I mean, we, could ca- we can carry on if you want. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm busy you're, getting you're out of getting every, every, everything ready for... Uh, for the next show, but are you uh, whipping whipping the next presenters into into shape? Are you? Uh, well, what, 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 one of the, one Johnny? of them is uh, very much bigger than me, so um, okay. yeah, that's uh, Bruce Jones. Uh, Johnny Palm is uh, just doing his final preparations, right? Uh, yeah, and I believe we're joined by Joe Bradley in the pits for this session, are we? Yeah, Mr. Bradley is our VP Racing Pit and Paddock reporter. He's uh, he's with us now. Hello, Joe. Hello, everybody. Um, hey, we're at Le Mans. I know, mate. It's fantastic. We've snuck in yeah. again. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tom, Dick and Harry. Uh, the three tunnels still there. Still there. Um, and, and you're going to be talking to, in fact, the first broadcast interview fairly early on in this free practice session of a, of a brand new a teenage sensation who's been signed up by one of the big teams. What's the story there? Well, he really is brand new. Um, United Autosports announced yesterday that uh, young American driver Josh Pearson is going to be joining them as a team member in one of their cars for a full season of WEC and Le Mans. However, the story behind the story is that Josh, at the moment, is only 15. He turns 16 next year, and he, when he takes to the grid at Le Mans 2022, he will break the record of the youngest driver. Now, Josh comes from a... Um, he's been racing karts since four years old. I'm not even sure that that's even in the regulations in America that you can race at four. It certainly isn't in the UK. And then at the moment, he's in the USF 2000 Championship. So... He's already got a lifetime of experience, but what a don't... I mean, when I was 16, mate, I was, I was busy trying to ride me 12-speed racer, let alone jump into an LMP2 prototype for Le Mans. That's um, not true. You were already driving a Mini that you'd built yourself. Shh, that's not quite... <laughs> <laughs> not on the public roads, of course. No, of course um, not. No, of course he, he's not. a protégé no, 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 of no, no. Uh, someone we all know very well in Stephen Simpson, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, Stephen, who is now the naturalised American originally from uh, South Africa. And as Joe says, he has uh, been playing his trade in the the Road to Indy series. Jeremy Shaw has been keeping a close uh, eye on him. But this is a big step up, Joe. A big step up. Massive. I I can't wait to actually speak to uh, Josh. And we we are lining something up that I'm I'm able to uh, talk to him. And I've got lots of questions. Um... Just purely from from my my own perspective on what it must be like to be at Le Mans right now, with a view to, you know, I'm going to be part of this team, and he, and he's there this weekend, this week as an observer. He's going to see Very how good. the team operates. There's a lot goes on 
with a race like Le Mans and United sure. Autosports very very well uh, uh, well organised, aren't they? Joe, you have interest in, in you know the careers of a, a couple of lads from Sunderland, from Warden Law Kart Club, who who I think we reported on Midweek Motorsport a couple of weeks ago, first and second in the in the European, well, that was the Rotax champs, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, what yeah. sort of ages are those guys? Well, those guys are, are Kai is now Reece. 19. And, yeah, okay. and, yeah, Reese is now 19 and, and Kai uh, 17, and they're racing at the, the top level of Rotax Max Karting. I think, uh, isn't it, it's becoming the case where the transition to cars is becoming earlier and earlier in that kind of career program and and we're looking at uh we're looking at drivers in the uk moving into cars with the likes of Ginetta juniors at 14 yeah they're then moving into formula four carbon tub slicks and wings race cars mm. I, i'm i'm not sure i agree with it to be honest that's a, i mean we, we've got a whole podcast there of debate <laughs> okay as to whether that's the right thing perhaps not for now okay joe uh joe will be uh, on the first shift in the uh in the commentary, which is coming up in a second, is our VP Racing Fuel Pit and Paddock reporter. That's it for Midday Motorsport. Thanks to Matt Oxley for joining us earlier on on the telephone. To Nick Damon, who was alongside me, the responsible adult, who is omnipresent. And, of course, up in London to Tim Gray. Full day of broadcasting. Go to RadioLamont.com. Scroll down at the bottom. The RS1 schedule is there. All of our live coverage, all of our feature programming, it's all in there till the end of the day tonight. And we're filling it in for the rest of the weekend as well. It's time. It is that time. We are ready for track action. And it will be Johnny Palmer who will take us through the first session with Joe Bradley and Bruce Jones next on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. No time to explain. The lava's excited. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.